Welcome to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Welcome to A Fork in Time, the Alternate History Podcast. I'm Don Shelley, joined today by my very special co-host. She also happens to be my daughter. That's Alexis Shelley. How are you doing today, Alexis? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you will see Alexis appear uh, prominently on the podcast, and it will probably almost always center around one particular type of topic. And the reason for that is my daughter, who is a native Texan and is a United States citizen, has an affliction. Alexis, what is your affliction? I am a proud, I will not apologize for it, Britophile. She's a Britophile. Now, I didn't hear her say Anglophile, so there's probably some little distinction that I don't even understand in that community that she probably can explain to you. Uh, but uh, although I am very much a fan of history, as is Alexis, uh, by far, Alexis greatly enjoys English history. British history. I know that that's not the same thing, and we won't chase that rabbit here today, but uh, she's going to be joining me frequently as a co-host on A Fork in Time, and I'm glad to have her today, particularly for the topic that we're talking about today. Uh, For most of you, and it certainly would be probably true for me, Alexis, what do you think most people would think of if I say King Arthur? I have Orlando Bloom and Karen Knightley popping in my head. You know, Guinevere and Brown Table and Knights, you know, something along that vein. Some legends, yeah. maybe some misty cliffs somewhere. This magician guy named Merlin running around, a sword and a stone, all kinds of other things. Sort of the typical things that we know as the quote-unquote Arthurian legends. Mm-hmm. Um, we know perhaps there was a historical King Arthur. I've seen and read things on that before. But we do know from reality outside of the mythical King Arthur, uh, was there ever a real King Arthur in the history of England? No. No. So the history of England, the kings of England go back for over a millennia. Yes. Well, the queens of England, too. That's a whole other story. (laughs) But uh, go back for over a millennia. But none of them happen to be named Arthur. No. Okay. But there could have been a King Arthur. There could have been. There could have been a King Arthur. In fact, that's going to be the topic of our show today, which is the, uh, I think one of the legends around the mythical King Arthur is the once and future king. We may call this one the once and never became the king in the case of King Arthur here. So uh, as the podcast is new, some of you may not understand sort of the format that we'll generally use. This is probably a good time to talk about how we do that. The concept of a fork in time is what would happen if at a particular moment in time something was changed. So you might call that the moment of deflection. You might call that the the moment that the timelines diverged. And so what we will typically do on a fork in time is that we will pinpoint that particular moment in time. And then we will talk about sort of the two paths that existed. We'll sort of always start by giving a background and understanding of uh, what I'll dub, for lack of a better term, real history. In other words, the real path that history went down. In other words, the event that is the deflection point occurred or didn't occur, as the situation might be. 
and then we'll pursue the other path, the other fork in the road of time, uh, which would be if that event had uh, occurred differently. And so while there's a lot of different ways to approach alternative history or what historians call counterfactuals, uh, looking at the what-ifs of history, which is what the podcast is all about, uh, we're always going to try to look at a particular moment, a particular event, and then look at how the two paths would have diverged from that event. Now, what that doesn't mean is that just because you initially went left when history and reality went right doesn't mean that eventually a road or a detour might not have taken it back to the same place. Sometimes the detour may be short. I think we'll discover when we talk through other things, the detour sometimes may be long. And that's why uh, exploring the what-ifs uh, can be an interesting thing there. So as a starting point, uh, we're going to focus around, and we've agreed that our counterfactual what-if, the fork in time, is actually going to be the death of this person who would have been King Arthur. Yes. And so if we're getting in the Wayback Machine and traveling back in time, what year are we going to have to find our way back to? Well, eventually, we're going to end up in 1502. 1502. So this is the early part of what we think of as being the 16th century. Uh, England, April, April the 2nd, 1502, particularly is the death date of Arthur's death. Uh, what is the state or the situation of England, and where does it come in sort of in the last, let's say, 100 to 150 years? Sure. So Arthur is the son, he's the first son of Henry VII and his wife Elizabeth. Uh, Henry VII is actually the founding uh, member of his dynasty. He finds he found the Tudor dynasty. He's the first monarch in that dynasty. Um, and that comes at the end of a long series of struggles that actually is termed in history the War of the Roses. Um, Henry VII actually is a descendant of the Lancastrian line, which is represented by a red rose. And he is married to the daughter of Edward IV, who is the last Yorkist king. The Yorks are represented by a white rose. So hence the War of the Roses. And through the marriage of Henry VII and Elizabeth of York, they actually combine those two um, dynasties. Actually, his symbol is a white rose and a red rose put together, making the Tudor rose, which you might have seen. Okay, so they, he doesn't choose the pink rose for reasons that may be lost to history. <laughs> but uh, So Henry is an important... Henry VII, a lot of Henrys that held the throne in England. Yes. Uh, Henry the Seventh. We'll get to them. We'll get to them. Yeah, we'll get to them. Yes, uh, but Henry the Seventh is important because of his role in ending that. I guess, for lack of a term, you could call it a, a, a civil war of degree, but it was a, basically a series of wars of succession, correct, uh, over the English throne, and um, wasn't just necessarily limited to England. Other powers on the continent, for example, France and others. Uh, Spain and others at various points intervened in that. Yes, a lot of a lot of European powers had some skin in the game, so to speak. France, Burgundy, Scotland, Spain, uh, other places like that, all had some varying varying degree of of skin in this game and wanting the outcome to be how they wanted it. So England, as we find it in 1502, and we'll talk a little bit more about the event that's sort of our our fork in time, the event that we're that we're looking at here. England is coming to the end of that period. It hasn't risen to the level of ascendancy we'll talk about later during the Elizabethan age, for example. Uh, but it, it's enjoying, for the first time in a long time, internal peace. 
but also is struggling with its position relative to the other powers, in particularly in Europe. Yes. England at this point had just been through many, many years of, of internal struggle and civil war, essentially. And so they're trying to find their footing. And also, they're at the beginning of a new dynasty. Henry VII is founding this new dynasty. So they're looking for external powers and external allies to bolster themselves up and make themselves into a strong nation. Okay, so Henry VII and his wife, who is... He, she is Elizabeth of York. She is Edward IV's first daughter. Um, again, he, he married her to, to unite those two factions. Okay, and so they have an older son whose name is... Arthur. And do they have any other children? They do. They have several other girls. They also have one other boy named Henry after his father. Okay, so Henry VII has a son named Henry, but... He is not the oldest son. The oldest son is Arthur. And so Arthur is the sole, well-recognized, legitimate heir at the end of this long struggle to the throne, which is now what we would call the Tudor throne uh, in England. Yes. Okay. So when Arthur is young, what happens? When Arthur is young, he's actually about three, uh, plans start to get in motion for them to find a bride for him. Uh, and of course they're looking external. They want to unite with a foreign power and they land on Spain, which is not the Spain that we will come to think of later on in the year Spain uh, later on in years. Spain is actually a relatively new nation as well. It has just been united by Ferdinand of Aragon and Isabella of Castile um, and fighting off the Moors and the Muslim um, rule that had been uh, governing Spain for thousands of years. So Spain is relatively new and looking for an ally. They find England and a marriage alliance is put together. Okay, so Arthur is three, but he's already pledged to be married to a Spanish princess, right? A Spanish princess by the name of Catherine. Okay, and we'll talk a little bit more about Catherine. Uh, at the time of this recording, uh, actually stars, uh, the television network has just rolled out its new series, The Spanish Princess, which is about Catherine. In fact, some of the events that we're talking about here, a little bit of the motivation for why we would even choose this as a moment in history. Uh, we'll come back to Catherine a little bit in a little bit more. 1502, again, that's going to be our critical year, uh, is 10 years after a date that sounds increasingly uh, familiar to me in history, which is 1492. And if I remember the little ditty correctly, in 1492, Columbus sailed the, the ocean, ocean blue, blue, and he sailed it for... Catherine, or for Ferdinand and Isabella. Of Spain. Of Spain. So even though he is not, he's actually Italian. <laughs> he actually uh, sails under the Spanish flag and uh, without getting into all kinds of other things, which also be another interesting topic for a show another day, uh, we credit him with discovering or at least opening up what we think of as the modern era of discovery of, of the New World uh, by European powers. So in 1492 flying uh, the flag of Spain, uh, Columbus has his first voyage. So by 1502, Spain is starting to become a power somewhat in the New World and is starting to see some of the riches uh, beginning to flow back from the conquest and, yeah, we'll say it, the politically correct term being the exploitation of the New World. Uh, so England is coming out of the end of a period of conflict, as is Spain. Spain is on the rise uh, because of their discoveries and wealth flowing from the New World. So this marriage alliance that's going to marry young Prince Arthur to Princess Catherine 
will seal the relationship between these two sort of rising, ascending powers in Europe. Yes, it's very beneficial for both involved. And they also uh, share a common enemy, right? They do. Their common enemy, of course, is France, which is the other big important uh, European country at this time. Yeah, and one of the other alliances that exists at that time is uh, France is backing uh, what is still an independent nation that's on the British Isles, and that nation would be... That nation would be Scotland. Uh, kind of the, the way to think about it is, enemy of my enemy is my friend. Okay, so we have England and Scotland. Uh, they've had tensions... On well, and off for multiple, multiple hundreds of years. Yeah, for a long time. Uh, England and France have been at war and, uh, and warring over territorial possessions on the continent for centuries and Spain and France have also been in conflict as well yes and so sort of the backdrop for our event here uh, which is going to center center around Arthur and his young uh, his young bride is uh, the importance of this alliance again it was made what 10 years or so before they actually even met even meet each other they corresponded obviously through letters and other correspondence and so the young Catherine comes to England to marry the young Arthur. They are married. Uh, and then sort of getting up and introducing our important event, what happens? Things go awry about six months into their marriage. Uh, they are living in Wales because Arthur is Prince of Wales as the heir to the throne. But Arthur is unfortunately taken ill and he does not survive. He dies about six months into their marriage. Okay, so our Fork in time, we find specifically as on April the 2nd of 1502, and it's the death of young prince, the crown prince, Henry. And, Arthur. I'm sorry, Arthur. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip, perhaps. Um, so when Arthur dies, uh, he has married, but he has not produced an heir. He has not produced an heir. Okay, so his father, Henry Seventh, is still king. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of Arthur's death and the way that succession worked is that if there's no Arthur to be king, who will be king? His next son. Which is? Henry's next son. Yeah. Which is also? Henry. Henry. So we find the history that we know it uh, results in Arthur not becoming king, his brother Henry becoming Henry VIII. Who you uh, might have heard of. Yeah. Uh, I think we were talking earlier, if you've been to a Renaissance fair or a... Uh, or some type of Renaissance festival, uh, you probably have seen a big fat guy who's the king who runs around. That normally is... That's normally Henry. Henry VIII. Although we tend to think of Henry sort of as that robust, overweight sort of guy. As a younger man, not quite so much. As a younger man, he was very athletic, uh, very actually musical. Uh, not what we think of when we think Henry VIII. He was exactly the polar opposite of that. Yeah, and so the Henry VIII that we know from history, again, sort of exploring the real history before we talk about the alternate history, he ends up marrying his brother's widow Mm -hmm. because sealing or continuing to have the uh, alliance... The Spanish alliance. ...is very important to them. So that was easy to do, right? Not very. Uh, It required some... Dispensations from the Pope, because, of course, Catherine had to say that her marriage was not consummated. Um, 
so that Henry would be allowed to marry her. Had to jump through some hoops, but eventually, yes, he does marry Catherine. Uh, Catherine becomes his first wife. Okay. You say his first wife. He had more than one? He had six. He had six. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, uh, I will tell a little story on my daughter. She has a coffee mug that when you, uh, that when you put hot liquid into it, do the wives disappear or do they appear? The wives disappear, and it actually shows their fates. Okay, so uh, the fact that you can actually need to have a coffee mug to remind you how uh, six different women who at various points were married to the King of England tells you a lot about what it was to be Henry's bride. The big issue, as we know from history, is that Henry and Catherine, then Henry and his subsequent wives, are never able to produce a living male heir. And so what does that produce in, the, in our real time out of history? What, what does that eventually lead to? So ultimately, uh, that leads to, um, of course, Henry VIII. He does produce one male heir, uh, Edward VI, who lives for about 15 years. But that's not a long time. Um, and especially not a long time given how long Henry lived. Uh, Edward VI only ruled for about six years. Uh, but he was the only son. So the throne then passes to his two daughters. Uh, Mary and Elizabeth in turn. But Elizabeth, of course, Elizabeth I is known as the Virgin Queen, meaning she never marries, she never has children. So on her death, the throne actually passes to her cousin um, by a, another child of Henry VII, a daughter actually, who, who had gone up north and married the uh, Scottish king. Uh, and he, uh, that son, uh, who's James VI of Scotland, comes down, becomes James I of England, and eventually unites the crowns of England and Scotland. So ultimately, that's what happens in the real version of history, um, is that we have the, the union of the crowns. So we have all of the things that go around Henry's reign, the things that go around after Henry's reign in terms of two women, taking the throne, Mary for a shorter period of time, Elizabeth being one of the most uh, well-known. Yeah, one, one of the most well-known and regarded English monarchs in history, Elizabeth I, and so much so that we call it the Elizabethan age. And then eventually we end up, as you point out, with James uh, becoming king of England, but also still king of Scotland. Scotland. Uh, there's a book that he was important in getting, pre- oh yeah, the King James Bible, we'll come back around to that. So a lot of things actually flow as a direct result of Henry becoming king instead of Arthur. Um, what else are what else is sort of noted in the real history timeline because of Henry's reign? What what else is sort of important events that we can point to there that may have been different if there had been an Arthur kingship? Well, if anybody who's listening is an Episcopalian. Um, or if you're across the pond, if you belong to the Church of England, that would not have existed. Um, we basically that uh, was formed because of Henry's desire to break with the Catholic Church because of the issues he had with those wives that he had and trying to get rid of them and, and for different reasons. So ultimately, we wouldn't have had a Protestant Reformation in England, and um, England would have probably continued to be a Catholic nation. Yeah, and that may be particularly true when we what we know of Catherine, who would have who was Arthur's that would have been was Arthur's bride right. was his wife, and then later we know that uh, she was a very devout Catholic, and uh, the Spanish crown and Spain were very much the. Uh, defenders of the faith, meaning meaning the church proper in uh, in, in Europe, and so 
the Reformation, which was not a uniquely um, British event or English event, had started on the continent, but England was a supporter of it primarily because of Henry's desire and need for annulments and divorces to be granted. And when they weren't granted, uh, England declared itself independent from uh, the Catholic Church. Yes, and it's important to note that actually Henry himself was not really Protestant. He really just didn't want the authority of the Catholic Church and the Pope particularly. But that kind of opened the door for Protestant thought and Protestant ideals to bring bring themselves into England, which ultimately led to the Protestant Reformation in England. Okay, so we spent a lot of time talking about the real path of history, much of that dominated by the actual uh, kingship of Henry VIII, and then the things that flowed as a result of his kingship. So going back to the concept of the podcast, which is the idea of the fork in time, now let's imagine maybe a different history. This is the history where there's an Arthur that is not dead at the young age of 15. Uh, We assume that if he's not dead at the age of 15, he's married, and he and his young bride Catherine uh, begin the work of all good sovereigns, which is to produce... Heirs. Heirs. And so we're not going to try to speculate what would have happened if he had had the same difficulty that Henry had producing a male heir. We'll just sort of assume that he would have uh, because that's uh, an additional what if on top of the what if. Uh, but so now we have perhaps a young King Arthur. That King Arthur, that would have been something. Actually, when you think about it, even, I think the people of England would have recognized the significance of that name. I don't think it was accidental. Uh, but a young King Arthur and his bride. So... What does the kingship of Arthur maybe look like in early 16th century England? So Arthur himself was actually a pretty able ruler. Um, It's important to remember that he was Prince of Wales. He actually did do some uh, governing on behalf of his father. Um, So he was actually a pretty well-respected ruler in terms of with the people and um, doing things where he in the uh, realm that he had jurisdiction over. Uh, He was not as, shall I say, rambunctious or boisterous as his younger brother Henry. He was a little more timid, um, but he actually was a pretty able uh, ruler, so I think that would have continued if he'd become a king and he would have been a just ruler uh, for England. Okay. Uh, I know I've I've read and seen several things that suggest um, his personality was, as you mentioned, sort of more reserved, more of a thinker versus a doer type. Uh, I think you and I had talked off off mic about the fact that uh, he had been raised in a somewhat protected environment because they were concerned about uh, maintaining this newly rejoined England that had been united now under uh, under the Tudors and not getting to a situation where there would be uh, wars of succession or conflict over succession again. Uh, but he didn't exactly get a a wallflower timid young maid in the young princess from Spain, did he? No, Catherine was uh, quite a boisterous personality. She gets a lot of her personality, I think, from her mother, Isabella, who was a a fierce warrior of a queen. So it's interesting to kind of see how the opposites attract in that marriage. uh, Catherine is a little bit more feisty and a little more fiery, and Arthur is a little bit more the thinker, a little more timid. Um, But I think in that respect, they were probably actually perfectly suited and well-matched in that they could um, kind of balance each other out. Okay, so... Again, we're imagining now the what-if of uh, Arthurian kingship, if you will, the Arthurian age. 
Um, so you do not have the eventual conflicts that come arising with Spain. So I guess one of the possibilities would be um, Scotland, who is backing, who is backed by France. I think most historians would agree that probably Arthur would have taken some type of action to get that situation into a little bit different state than what it was in actuality, right? It's it's possible that Arthur might have invaded uh, Scotland, or at least tried to subdue it a little bit um, with the backing of Spain, and that also France would have seen Spain as somebody they didn't want to mess with, and so would have left England alone. Yeah, so you might have seen a situation where eventually in the real path of history, England and Scotland become united as a result of the issues with succession and Elizabeth not having an heir. Mm -hmm. And so eventually James the sixth becomes James the first. And so eventually this happens, but there's, I guess the potential that this could have happened several generations earlier and in a different way where Scotland becomes subjected to English rule, uh, instead of, uh, the situation that actually happens in real history. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess one of the things that occurs to me, uh, to me one of the biggest possible differences, again, so much of speculating about what would have happened if there had have been an Arthur as king is imagining the things that did happen not happening because Henry was king. Uh, But there's no doubt that one of the most uh, influential elements of history in the 16th century is the Reformation. And so, of course, the Reformation is... Alive and well on the continent, uh, Martin Luther, and uh, has he's put those ninety-five theses up. Yeah, and, that, and and we're not suggesting that doesn't happen if uh, there is if Arthur is king versus Henry, uh, but certainly because of Henry and his need for uh, the situation with his queens and divor- divorces and those types of things, um, England becomes a supporter of the Reformation versus someone who's opposing the Reformation. Um, I think it's a pretty fair assumption that Catherine, who would have been Queen of England and a devout Catholic, probably would not have exactly have been the most likely ally for the Reformation. Probably a f- fair bet, right? Definitely not. She was a devout Catholic, and I don't think Protestantism would have taken a firm route if Catherine had been allowed to be queen. So we may have seen, I think we would have seen the Reformation because it happened. We would have seen a form of the Reformation but I guess what we're saying is a likely outcome of Arthur on the throne would not have been the English Reformation as we know it. Uh, and then, of course, that leads to other events in, in English history uh, where there's counter-reformation and there's other things that happens there. And I guess one possible way that you can flow the alternate history here is thinking about the history of the New World in religious terms because a good bit of the English settlement that comes across is not the result of the same motivations that Spanish uh, explorers had, but as a result of religious pilgrims that are fleeing, that are fleeing England. They're fleeing persecution. Absolutely, um, Spain is coming over for for conquest. Of course, they want they want the riches, whereas English uh, English settlers are fleeing because of religious persecution. So it's possible that if Arthur had been allowed to. Uh, to rule and with Catherine at his side, we would have had a different religious landscape in England and we might not have seen the religious uh, persecution and the fleeing that we would have seen to the New World. So one possible outcome of this uh, sort of turning left on the road of history instead of the road or the right at this particular breaking point would be the impact on what we might think of as American history 
if there would have even been something that we think of as being American history with a little bit of a difference there. Uh, one other possible way to look at it is, okay, so Arthur is king. Henry is not. Again, we're not going to assume a scenario where maybe maybe Arthur, Arthur, hard for me to say that sometimes. Arthur lives but doesn't produce a male heir or some scenario where Henry would have assumed the throne in some other way. Um, so let's assume that we have a healthy Arthur on the throne thriving with heirs. Uh, Henry's not king. What's a second son of Henry VII to do if you're not the king? Well, interestingly enough, Henry was actually being groomed for the church. Uh, he was going and taking ecclesiastical courses. He was being groomed to be a theologian. So it's possible that he might have been a monk, eventually an abbot, maybe an archbishop, possibly even a pope. We have had one English pope in the, in the past. So it was possible that if Henry had not become Henry VIII, we might have had a pope that was, uh, that was Henry VIII. So, 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 Pope Henry, Pope Henry, or whatever name he may have chosen, versus uh, versus King. Henry. I think the one English Pope was Pope Adrian, so maybe we would have had another Pope Adrian. So, so instead of Henry the Eighth, again the fat guy at the Renaissance Festival, we would have Adrian the uh, Second in Italy, uh, maybe as a cardinal, as Henry, or, or perhaps something else. So, a different path of history. That forceful personality that was Henry VIII might have been a forceful personality, but in a very different... Very different way. In a very different way. And then, of course, uh, one possible uh, scenario that can be explored, a uh, big event that I think of as flowing, again, ultimately from Henry being king and the Reformation and uh, the other things that happened there eventually by the time of Elizabeth, is we find that England and Spain are not allies. England, England and Spain are... Are very much enemies. Are enemies. <laughs> And they're enemies primarily over religious matters as well as political matters. All those two things are constantly intertwined, uh, particularly throughout European history. Uh, but eventually that leads to the effort by Spain to invade England in, in the events of the Spanish Armada. Correct. So uh, probably a, a fair surmise to say that if Arthur had been king, uh, we, would, we may not have the word Armada in our vocabulary quite the same way that we think about it today as a result of the enterprise for Spain to invade England. So as again, as we go through this, it's uh, just realizing it becomes increasingly difficult to think about Arthur because of the what if of not knowing. You sort of have to look at what are the possibilities of what could be nullified under Henry VIII. But one of the other things, obviously, is after Henry dies, you talked about it a little bit earlier, Alexis, is Mary and then Elizabeth and then James. England, which had just come out, and then united under Henry VII from wars of succession and, 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 and conflict over the crown. No Arthur. There's a Henry. No clear succession as a result of that. Same thing could have happened with Arthur, but certainly what we end up in real history is essentially another period of turmoil, right? Correct. And that's Mary and her sister Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And, um, and then, of course, you mentioned earlier, Elizabeth never marries. Mm-hmm. And that actually becomes a point of sort of pride and contention, but also it was because she always wanted to keep open the possibility of a marriage that would be uh, be an alliance there. So I guess, you know, assuming that Arthur lives, becomes king, produces an heir, there's maybe not a future disruption in succession in England as we, as we find later under Mary and Elizabeth as well. There's a possibility it would have been a lot smoother and a lot more clear-cut 
than what ends up happening. Yeah, and as a result, England has the opportunity to focus on other interests elsewhere. Maybe they would have been a player in the New World, just a player in the New World in a different way. Right. If they weren't dealing with strife at home. Uh, and certainly if they weren't having to be uh, in conflict with the Spanish in the New World the way that they eventually are, that would probably produce a different outcome as well. Right. If... Um... Spain and England had continued to be allies on the continent, then the uh, landscape of the New World would have been much different because essentially we have the New World just becoming a second theater for warfare. Yeah, I can't help but think of uh, having had the privilege uh, on my honeymoon to see Drake's seat in the St. Thomas of the U.S. Virgin Islands. And I was just thinking about Drake, who is a English sea captain uh, who was known for uh, doing what? Doing some piracy, and famously with some Spanish ships. Exactly. So piracy on the high seas and stealing of of gold, uh, probably not as likely to have happened with England. May have happened still, just out of greed, but not out of political intrigue between England and Spain as well. So trying to think if there's anything else that's really other main topics, but certainly I think it's probably a fair thing to say that for most people, even who are familiar with history, Arthur is sort of an unknown character. He's a he's a footnote to history, right? He's very much a footnote. Um, a lot of people kind of he kind of gets passed over, especially when you consider who his brother is. Yeah, sort of uh, in the shadow of uh, of his brother as a result of the events that are there. So uh, again, while we're exploring the idea of, an, of a King Arthur, uh, I think a lot of it's the realization of oh, there was an Arthur, other than that mythical guy that we talked about as well. Well, uh, we'll sort of bring this episode here to a close. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed our path down uh, two branches of, I guess, English. Is that the correct word? English history? At this point, it's English history. Okay. I'm getting the nod, so it's okay to say that. The two paths of English history uh, that that were fatefully decided that that particular day with the death of Arthur there in 1502. And certainly uh, that event and what may seem like a small change... uh, casts a big shadow for several hundreds of years on the continent of Europe and probably globally as well. And certainly we wouldn't have the uh, amount of TV shows that we've had. I think I think Arthur wouldn't have been quite a tantalizing of a subject yeah. as, his, as his younger brother became. Well, let's just say this. The, the tutors on Showtime probably would have been a little bit different with uh, Arthur Tudor versus, uh, versus Henry Tudor. Maybe a little. Probably no doubt about that. Well, again, we thank you for joining us here. If you've enjoyed the podcast, and we hope that you have, uh, you can express that enjoyment by leaving reviews for us there on iTunes. Positive reviews are always helpful. I should also mention that uh, you'll see in the show notes there that we have a Patreon uh, page as well. So if you're interested in uh, helping to support the the podcast, uh, you can can be a supporter there, and that includes the ability to uh, provide financial support if you'd like to leave that up to you as well. But... All that information can be found uh, on our Patreon page. Again, we've enjoyed having you with us. We thank you for joining us. Hope that you found uh, something of interest. Uh, You learned something today and realized that, uh, as is always the case, uh, small events, uh, a little drop of a rock in the pond can have a big ripple throughout history. So uh, thanks for joining us here on A Fork in Time, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks.